Okay, wait, wait, just a second. I got to plug this. Yow! It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 141 for May 3rd, 2009. These are the times that tax men's souls. Thomas Paine said that in 1773. He wasn't talking about tax time, of course. He was writing about more serious matters at the time. We are now just half a month down the road from tax time, and if you were one of those people who had to scramble during the first three months of the year to put your hands on all the records you needed to file your federal, state, and local tax returns, well, maybe you'd like a little help next year. Intuit has been in the business of providing that help for a lot of years. The company's offerings range from a free online service that offers a modest amount of control over your finances to much more expensive and expansive applications that record home and small business finances. So I tracked down Jim Delfavaro. He's a group product manager for Intuit. And we have him on the show today. This is the time of the year when some people mutter the words, enough is enough, and they say that this is not going to happen again. They're, they're going to be ready next year for tax time. It used to be that what they meant when they said that would be, oh, maybe finding a shoebox and tossing every scrap of paper that had anything to do with finances in there so that at least next year they would have everything at least in a, in a single place. So let's start just with the basics. At the very least, what should somebody who is utterly fed up with this last minute scurrying around do right now to avoid that problem next year? Really, taxes, it's all about, you know, it's any good American. Uh, you certainly want to do your part, but you also want to maximize your deductions. You want to maximize the, the dollars you're getting back uh, for both an individual and if you're a small business, that's even more critical because that's one of the number one levers you can pull uh, to help for early success of your business. And so, you know, with Quicken, really what we make easy for you is to identify those uh, expenses that are tax-related so that when tax time comes around, you can print out your report, you can import it into TurboTax, you can hand it to your accountant, uh, and you can say, you know, here's my expenses that are tax-deductible, either charitable contributions, business expenses, and these are the things that I should be getting credit for on my taxes. Uh, and so that's really, you know, that's really the thing that anyone can start doing now to put themselves in a better situation. And if you think about it, the, the amount of money that a consumer can leave on the table is is amazing. From the mileage deduction on your car, which went up this year, to office supplies, home office deductions, all those things. If you're not tracking it, and it is work to track it, if you're not tracking it, you're basically throwing money away. I think probably everybody knows you need to keep things like payroll, uh, payroll stub type uh, papers and W-2 forms, 1099s, if you get those, bank statements, stuff like that. And you can keep that either in a, in a paper form, which at the end of the year is a lot less convenient than keeping it on the computer. But what kinds of things must you absolutely keep, and what kinds of things can you throw away? Generally, you know, seven years is how long you should keep most of your documents for. You know, any receipt for an expense that you want to deduct, you should keep. Anything that uh, a state...
statement, a bill, you want to keep that as well. Uh, credit card statements are good. For mileage, normally you want to keep a record uh, of your mileage. Uh, you know, they say document it in a book. I think as long as you document where your trip went to, I think Google Maps is a great way of kind of figuring out what's the mileage from point A to point B that you can safely deduct. Uh, so I know a lot of people are using that these days to help them figure out what their mileage deduction is. Uh, Quick and Home and Business has uh, a feature to help you track your mileage as well. So those are generally the things you want to keep. For a consumer, you've got your your Schedule D, Schedule C, 1099s, W-2s. Those are things that automatically get sent to the government for you. So really what you're responsible for is anything you're going to itemize. And then for those people who are investors, if you're selling stocks, uh, you need to know the cost basis in order to accurately report that on your taxes as well. Intuit has been providing software to prepare tax returns for individuals and, as you said, small businesses for a long time, and software that tracks the income and expenses during the year. And you kind of alluded to this. Uh, a lot of people, I think, still believe that this is a lot of trouble for people to use during the year to keep all the information in the programs up to date throughout the year. I'm sure there are people who probably think they might want to do this and then don't simply because they feel that it's going to be more trouble than it's worth. I think that's a fair perception for people to have. If you look at the state of kind of uh, personal finance and small business software maybe a decade ago, it was, okay, I get this bank statement. What's my incentive to enter the same thing into a software program? What's really the benefit that I'm getting out of doing that? Things have really changed. Uh, the amount of work the average consumer needs to, to exert to keep up to date with their finances is significantly lower now than it was even a few years ago. So on our desktop products, for example, Quicken Home and Business or any of the Quicken desktop products, we can automatically get the data from your financial institutions all the time. So, you know, you launch Quicken, uh, we'll connect to your bank, your credit card company, your brokerage, We'll grab all of your transactions. We'll categorize them. You can go back and review them. You can change the categories. You can get reports on where you're spending your money. You can get reports, automatically generate tax reports as well. And if you're doing that through the course of the year, maybe once or twice a month, then the amount of work you're actually doing is significantly less than waiting until the end of the year, stacking up all of your statements and then going through it with a highlighter and trying to figure it out. Been there, done that. Yeah, I mean, I do personal finances. I also have a small web business. So I use Quick and Home and Business because it allows me to manage my personal finances, but also see how my business is doing as well. Because for a lot of people, especially these days when people are blogging or they're doing, uh, you know, maybe Amazon merchant stuff, you get some people with some side income here and there that you still have to report on. Home and Business is perfect for that because most people, at least I'm in this category, I think 80% of the people who are tracking a small business don't have separate bank accounts for their small business. So you need to make sure that you separate out your business expenses from the rest of your finances. And that's what Quicken Home and Business makes super easy. It's really easy to indicate that a transaction was related to a business and then have a view where you can see how your business is doing. And there's a lot of, you know, especially with the economy being more difficult for a lot of people, for those people who are starting a new business or looking at a new opportunity, it's really critical to be able to effectively evaluate how well you're doing to see if, should you put more time into it, should you try something else, and then at the very least, no matter what you're doing, you need to maximize your deductions because that's kind of the one 
incentive the government is really giving you to help you get your small business off the ground. You mentioned uh, some of the changes that have occurred in banks, and certainly they have changed enormously over the years. I remember back in the 1980s, Bank One, which is now a part of Chase, made two or possibly even three abortive attempts to launch an online service. One of them I know predated easy access to the Internet, and I think the other one did too. So you had to dial into the bank's data center with a modem. Now just about every bank has a web interface. So I would think that that translates to a lot less work for consumers. It gets you better access to your data so you can see it during the, the, during the month. So I think for, and this is important for consumers and small businesses for credit cards, you really want to make sure you get visibility into what activity is going on during the course of a month. You know, between identity fraud or just kind of getting out of control unintentionally with your expenses, uh, you need to stay more up-to-date and on top of where your money is going and when it's leaving. And so banking uh, has provided kind of, instead of waiting for a statement at the end of the month, you've got more involvement during the course of a month with where your money is going. But banks still aren't providing the tools that allow you to do much with that data, which is where uh, products like Quicken and Quicken Online come in because we're actually taking all of that data and then instead of the consumer having to go to five or six different websites, you just go either our desktop product or online product, you go in and you get all of the data brought to you uh, so you don't have to go out and find it. And then once you get it, you can do things with it. So you can slice it up. In order to see your complete financial picture, you can see I've got money coming into my checking account, money going out of my checking account. But is that really telling the the full picture of my finances? And it's not because you need to know what are you spending on your credit card, what's in your savings, are you doing something in your brokerage account, what if you've got more than one credit card account. So be able to use uh, you know personal finance tools really help you get a better idea of where your money's going. I want to, to, to take kind of a look at uh, the acceptance of personal finance tools. ATMs appeared on the scene a long time ago now, and a lot of people quickly adopted them. I'm one of those. I just never go into the bank. I don't even go to a drive-up teller unless I absolutely have to. But there are other people, primarily those beyond a certain age, and I'm not sure what that age was, simply wanted to have a passbook. And if they didn't have the passbook with the numbers written in it, they didn't trust the bank. Are you seeing the same kind of generational division with using online or desktop financial tools? Absolutely. So if you look at what are the, what are the jobs that uh, someone would want to use Quicken Desktop for, a lot of it is uh, balancing my checkbook. I'm comparing what I have with what the bank has, and I'm monitoring it during the course of the month. And at the end of the month, I reconcile my account and I close it out. So that's a very desktop personal finance job to solve, and that's primarily an older consumer who really wants to have that kind of involvement and control over their finances. And if you look at newer consumers, and that's what Quicken Online is geared towards, it's really about I want to kind of stay up to date with what's going on. I don't necessarily want to double-check it and triple-check it, but I want to be aware of, of the inflows and outflows, and then I manage by exception. So if I see something weird that's where I'm going to get involved. And your ATM example is perfect because one of the features of early ATMs was you could go up and you could see, at least with my bank, you could see the last four or five transactions so you get your current balance. So with Quicken Online, we actually can send that out to people to their mobile phones. So every day you can get your balance in the last five transactions for all of your different accounts. And that's a great way to see what's cleared, what has yet to be cleared, and how much money do I have left, really. That's a good thing to know. Uh, let's take a, a quick look at investors. You mentioned uh, investments earlier. 
What are some of the, the special concerns that uh, investors have in, in keeping their finances straight? Uh, so we touched on a little bit earlier, but it's the cost basis of your investments, because that's really what, you know, if you, everyone's going through at this time of year. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, or for most of us, not a lot of positive numbers to reflect back on in, uh, in 08, but you've got your statement from your brokerage, and the statement from the brokerage, depending on how long you've been with your brokerage, they may not have the cost basis for your security. So if you moved brokers at one point or you moved shares in from somewhere else, your brokerage may just say, you know what, we're reporting the gross proceeds from that sale you made, and that's what gets reported to the government. And your job as the investor is to make sure that the government knows what your cost basis is for that investment. My accountant made that mistake one year on my taxes, and I got a nice little letter from the IRS saying, since he didn't put the cost basis for this sale, we're assuming that the entire amount of the sale was profit for you, and you owe us a bunch of money. And that's not a good letter to get. No, that's, that would be a very bad letter to get. So definitely it's cost basis. That's important. That's one thing that we solve for very well with the Quicken Desktop product. And we make it painless because we're automatically downloading all of your transactions from your brokerage. So if you've got a dividend, if you've got a reinvest, if you've got a buy, if you've got a sell, we track all that. We download those transactions for the majority of brokerages. Uh, it makes it very easy for that customer to keep up to date with that during the course of the year so that when tax time comes around, you simply run a report and you're done. And then there's investment performance. For older investors, a lot of it's asset allocation. And Quicken allows you to do both of those things. So you can do more advanced investments. How do you put together uh, an asset allocation target that's right for where you are in your life versus retirement? And then what are your risk tolerances? And then measuring your progress against what the ideal asset allocation is. Quicken helps you do something like that as well. And in, in closing, let's take uh, maybe kind of a quick look at some of the products and services that uh, Quicken has to offer. I know you've got several different versions of the software, but now there's uh, an online service that, uh, as I understand it, is free, and it covers essentially basic needs. So who should use which products? There's some people who are uncomfortable using an online product, and so desktop's clearly a choice for those consumers. On the desktop, we have Starter Edition, which is for people with basic financial needs. They just want to start getting control of their finances. We've got Quicken Deluxe, which is for people who are interested in basic finances, budgeting, some investing, and then some planning. And then we've got Premier, which is really targeted towards investors. It does things like asset allocation. It has more advanced investment tools. It has more long-term planning tools in it as well. And then we have Home and Business, which is really, and I, I, I touched on it earlier, it's targeted towards people for whom their business really is their personal finances. So if you're someone who's a consultant or you're a sole proprietorship, maybe you're a contractor and you need to track your income and expenses for tax purposes, home and business is perfect for that. You can also do some invoicing as well, but it's really there to help you get the most, uh, most deductions possible uh, and make it easier for you at tax time. And then brand new this year, is Rental Property Manager, and that's really targeted towards the 19 million Schedule E filers uh, in the U.S., who, very similar to the small business customer, when you have a rental property, you know, one of the things you have is your ability to uh, deduct expenses against that rental property, of course, track to make sure people are paying rent, et cetera. And then that's the desktop lineup, uh, and it's certainly, we have the new online product, which is a little bit simpler, 
and the online product is really focused on uh, consumers who have shorter-term needs, people who are maybe one or two paychecks away from having a real financial problem, but it really helps with short-term cash flow, and it's all automatic. So you log into Quicken Online. It's very easy to set up an account. You add your financial institutions to Quicken Online, and one nice thing about that is Quicken Online goes out every night and grabs all the data from your bank's credit cards and investments, automatically categorizes that data, and then updates its kind of profile of where you are currently with your finances. And so you log into Quicken Online. We'll show you uh, how you're doing versus your income and expenses so you know if you have enough money to cover your bills because that's really what a lot of people want to make sure of. It's, it's not necessarily that you don't have enough money in a given time period, but maybe you get paid on Monday and you have a bill that you slated to pay on Friday, and you need to move that Friday bill to Monday to make sure you can cover it. That's the kind of thing that we help you do. And then the really nice thing about Quicken Online is since it's always connected, we can push that out to you. So we can push out uh, bill alerts, overdraft alerts, overspending alerts. We can push those things out via email or your mobile device. So it's really for those people who know they want to get a better handle on their finances and have pretty basic needs around budgeting and cash flow, and then they want most of the work done for them. That's really what Quicken Online delivers. And it is free, like you did mention. That's Jim Del Favreau, a group product manager for Intuit, a company that makes a lot of tax and accounting software. Helps you keep organized through the year so that at tax time next year, you'll be ready. If you remember when hard drives were small and expensive, well, they were large in terms of physical size, small in terms of the amount of stuff you could store on them, and wow, were they ever expensive. 16 megabyte drive, the first one I bought, I think I've mentioned this a time or ten before, I was around $1,000. So if you remember those days, you might also remember Stack Electronics, company that made it possible to effectively double the size of your drive. Stacker was available in two configurations. One was software only, and the other included a hardware component that lived in the computer. A friend reminded me of Stacker recently, and I started wondering, whatever happened to the company? According to a Wikipedia article, Stack Electronics was the creation of seven students at the California Institute of Technology, also known as Caltech, in Pasadena. Stacker wasn't the company's first product, but it was their big hit. When 20-megabyte hard drives cost hundreds of dollars, users were desperate to find more storage space without spending more money. Founded in 1983, Stack invented the Stacker Disk Compression Program in 1990. And as an extra bonus, Stacker usually increased system performance, even though data had to be compressed and decompressed on the fly. That operation was actually faster than reading and writing operations on slow disk drives. And in those days, every disk drive was a slow disk drive. With Stacker in place, read and write operations were reduced. The hardware version of Stacker provided slightly more compression than the software version alone, but as I recall, the speed was about the same either way. Disk compression differs from file compression in that a disk compression system doesn't have to be told which files to compress. It simply compresses everything. The user doesn't even need to know it's there. That's both an advantage and, as some people found, a big hazard. The compressed drive is usually stored as one large hidden file. 
And back in those days, people used utility applications to examine their disk drive, found that really big file, couldn't figure out what it was for, and deleted it. People who did that lost all of their data, unless they had it backed up. And in those days, you probably didn't. The Wikipedia article reminded me of Stack's legal action against Microsoft. And I quote the article, In 1993, Microsoft released MS-DOS 6.0, which included a disk compression program called DoubleSpace. Stack executives were outraged, as Microsoft had previously been in discussion with Stack to license its compression technology. Microsoft had talked with Stack engineers and had examined Stack's code, so Stack charged Microsoft with infringement of its data compression patents. In 1994, Stack won a $120 million award, big money in those days, but Microsoft appealed, of course, and filed a countersuit claiming misuse of a trade secret by Stack. Although Microsoft won that case, the award was for just $13.6 million. By the end of 1994, Microsoft and Stack had compromised. Microsoft invested about $40 million in the company and paid an additional $43 million in royalties. As disk drives became larger and cheaper, there was no longer a market for disk compression applications. Stack eventually changed its name to Previo and attempted to become a provider of help desk technology, but wow, was their timing ever bad. The dot-com collapse ended the company's hopes for survival. And the Wikipedia article noted that in an unusual move, rather than spend all of its cash, the company sold off its technology to Altiris and returned its cash to shareholders before dissolving. In short circuits, Google Public Data is the latest offering from Google. So far, it doesn't do much, but there is a huge potential. In short, Google Public Data's goal is to accumulate, as you might expect, public data from various government agencies and make it easy to use. When I say it doesn't amount to much yet, what I mean is the only information available is the unemployment rate and the population. But you can at least compare any county in the country to any other county, to the state the county is in, or some other state if you want to, or to the entire nation. For example, on the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll find three graphs. One has the overall U.S. employment rate, the rate for Ohio, and the rate for Franklin County. Now, you have to remember that this is the raw data, not seasonally adjusted, which means that if you're out of work during a season when a lot of other people are out of work, your being out of work doesn't count for as much. Okay, actually, that's a pretty cynical approach. Seasonally adjusted rates do help us understand the real situation. Without the seasonal adjustment, it's like comparing prices from the 1960s to today's prices. Remember gasoline, 25 cents a gallon, full-size car, 1500 bucks. But to understand those implications, you also have to realize that a high-paying job in those years would have meant about $10,000 annually. While I was there, I decided to take a look at the population data, too. In this case, of course, you are limited just to states. So I thought I'd take a look at Ohio, Utah, Florida, and Arizona. Florida, Arizona, and Utah are all gaining population. Ohio is essentially holding steady. But add California. Do this for yourself and see what happens. You can start from Google.com and type either unemployment or population and the name of a state, and chances are you'll get what you want. Google's blog says this is, <laughs> surprise, just a start, 
And the application is, and this will be an even bigger surprise, still in beta. This makes me wonder, has Google ever taken any product out of beta? Product manager Ola Rosling says there are statistics for prices of cookies, CO2 emissions, asthma frequency, high school graduation rates, baker's salaries, number of wildfires, and on and on. Reliable information about these kinds of things exists thanks to the hard work of data collectors gathering countless survey forms, she says. She also cites the careful statisticians who estimate meaningful indicators that make hidden patterns of the world visible to the eye. And she points out the data that they've used in this first launch are produced and published by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics and the U.S. Census Bureau's Population Division. And, of course, they did all the hard work, according to Rosling, Google just made the data a bit easier to find and use. So there's a lot of promise here. This is all possible, by the way, because Google acquired Trendalyzer two years ago. This is a company that created products to make data more readily available and usable by converting it to a visual form. Everything I've heard so far tells me that Windows 7 will be a lot better than Vista. Unfortunately, at the moment, I don't have a spare machine to load the operating system on, which I could do if I wanted to, because the release candidate code is available. This time around, Microsoft is doing something that is highly unusual. The release candidate version, which should be virtually identical to the final product, except for perhaps a few cosmetic changes, will continue to run until June 1st, 2010. So if you install it now, you get to use Windows 7 free for a year. That's a bit of a gamble on Microsoft's part, but a lot of users will be reluctant to pay for an update after their Vista experience, and this may attract some early adopters who, after a year of using it, will probably be quite willing to pay for it. The release candidate is available right now for Microsoft TechNet subscribers and those who belong to the Microsoft Developers Network. Anybody else who wants to try it will be able to download a copy starting on May 5th. The release candidate will be on Microsoft's website at least until the end of June and probably longer than that. Microsoft's longest living release candidate prior to this was Vista, release candidates 1 and 2. They ran for 8 months. So maybe you're wondering when the gold code will be released to manufacturing. If so, Microsoft isn't saying. But there are strong hints that this will be the only release candidate, which suggests that Microsoft is pretty confident that no significant bugs will emerge. The time between RTM and product availability on the shelf is usually about two to three months, and between the time that it's released to manufacturing and the time you'll find it on shelves, you will begin to see the OEM version on new computers appearing on store shelves. And in closing, just a quick reminder, I'll be at the Columbus Computer Society at OCLC, the Kilgore Building in Dublin, 7 p.m. on May 20th. I'll be talking about all the Adobe software that you've heard about here on the show for the past, uh, oh, six or eight months or so. So I'll have the opportunity to actually show you some of the features that I've talked about on TechBiter Worldwide. However, I have to point out that in the interest of allowing everybody to get home well before midnight, I will be seriously limiting the number of features I can show. And if you show up, I will try to use your time wisely. The public is invited, and that means you don't have to be a member to get in. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.